All right. So, if you've been here this month, <laughs> the sermons were heavy, a little heavy in the house. <laughs> um, I want to finish all this month just dealing with identity in Christ and intimacy, how really true intimacy comes from knowing who we are in Christ and drawing close to God because as he heals us up, as we get whole in him, then guess what? We actually are able to be connected truly connected to other people, right? So if you're visiting with us today, maybe you're just investigating the faith, you're not sure what you're about Jesus, or you're new to the faith. Everything got broken in the fall. In Genesis 3, like God makes man and immediately we screw up. Like it doesn't take three chapters in, right? It's the fall of man. We decide, you know what? I can be like God, right? That's the temptation. You can be as God. He has said, don't do this thing, but you can, if you sin against him, you go against his ways and you do this thing, then you'll be wise like his. You'll have carnal knowledge. You'll, you'll know good and evil, right? Basically, you can be your own God, which is still the temptation that every generation <laughs> deals with in different ways. We'll decide right and wrong. We'll, we don't need God to tell us that, right? And in the fall of man, everything gets broken, so God made the world. It was good, right? We were on mission with him, right? Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Um, and then we, we decide we'll be our own gods, and everything is broken in that. So there's four major categories that falls into, right? Our relationship to God gets broken. Our relationship to each other gets broken in the fall. We were made to be able to easily have intimacy and connection to each other, and now we're born in this isolation, Right? It's actually hard to reveal who you really are to people and for them to reveal that to you. So we're separated in the fall. Immediately, Adam and Eve are divided. She gave me the fruit, right? You see the division immediately. The third area is, the, is, the, is nature. Nature is broken in the fall. Sickness and death enter the world through sin. Right now, even nature is groaning for its day of redemption. And the fourth thing that gets fractured is us internally. Right? Your worst conflicts happen in your heart and your mind. Whatever conflict you may have outside yourself usually can't compare to what happens in here, right? And Jesus says, I have come to make all things new, meaning I'm not going to leave you broken. And he declares when he comes, I have come to undo the works of the enemy. We don't have to live in those broken states. We're not just getting through salvation like a get-out-of-hell-free card and we just wait till the end, right? Because if that's true, then our deliverance is death. And Jesus came and conquered death. He comes and makes us a new creation now. And so we want to talk about the identity in Christ, how we live in Christ and wholeness, and how that really also affects intimacy, which we've dealt with um, all, through the, all through the month. Um, and thinking about that, I'm going to throw this out. We're not talking about great awakenings, but I'm going to throw this out. We're so overdue for a great awakening in this country. Just if you look at the numbers, we're overdue. The first great awakening happens in 1730 and goes on for um, a couple decades, two, three, four decades. Um, the next one hits in the 1790s and goes into the 1800s. The next one hits. Um, 1858, you see a breakout of revivals, and then um, which really moves us toward um, really empowers the abolitionist movement, which begins in earnest during the, the Second Great Awakening, when many slaves, it, um, the Second Great Awakening, salvation sweeps through the plantations, and many slaves are saved. 
And then, obviously, it puts truth to the lie. You can't say this is three-fifths of a human if they bear the image of God and their brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And so you have that movement comes out of the church. Yeah? And then you have, on the Third Great Awakenings, it happens in 1858, you have that really emboldened, that movement, um, and that lasts for quite a bit of time. And then um, into the 1900s, and then in the 1960s and 70s, you have the Great Awakening, the Jesus Movement, right? So you have, in the hippie culture, which I tend to be just naturally more on the... Um, like socially conservative, politically conservative side of things. So I look at film reels from the 60s and I'm like, those people are whack, <laughs> right? Hate Ashbury stuff. That seems like, like you could kind of tell that we're going to be some problems, right? I mean, this is not going to produce good things. But when you look at it in context, I think um, preceding that, the decades preceding that, in the church world, um, people had become very religious, but it was external, there were a lot of social norms of what you should and shouldn't do. But there were no rivers of living water. It's very judgmental. Everything's externally judged, right? And out of that, I think there was a hunger among people, the beatniks first, like the late 50s and then the 60s. There was this hunger for what's real, what's genuine, what's authentic. Because this veneer doesn't seem very real to us. And so out of that, there's this experimentation with drugs, and there's also the sexual revolution. But pretty quickly, there are people in that movement that realize this has left me more hollow than following the rules did for the rule's sake. And they begin to have a spiritual, there's a spiritual quest they're in. And so you have these people who are so far from Jesus. I mean, in their activities, you'd be like, oh, they're so far gone. That's where the Jesus movement starts among those who had tried everything already. And they circled back because they thought they already knew what Jesus was. But they didn't. They saw the veneer of what he was. Religious people had shown them rules. They hadn't shown them any relationship. And so there was a hunger, and so out of that, the Jesus movement comes in the 60s and 70s. And so we are overdue. Because every 30 to 50 years, there's a great awakening in this country. And we're overdue. And you can look at some of the things we've talked about um, this month, issues of human sexuality and sexual identity and um, same-sex marriage and all those kinds of things we've been dealing with um, this month. You can look at that stuff and think, oh, our culture is just so far gone, right? It's just too far. Let me tell you, I think especially because a lot of that stuff that is really anti-Christ, right, apart from God, so far from God, a lot of that's happening among the younger generations, right, the, the 20-somethings and the early 30-somethings. And what that also means is they've been encouraged to try everything. They've been encouraged to hedonism. If your heart wants it, do it. If your flesh wants it, do it. And not just it's been allowed, it's been encouraged. Encouraged. So what happens then? When you've tried everything by 27 <laughs> and all of it leaves you hollow and more broken, guess what? That's a heart pretty ready for the good news. So don't ever be hopeless. Like don't, right? We should be people of incredible hope because Jesus is on the move. 
And it's time for another great awakening. So today as we talk about our identity in Christ, I just, I want this in your heart. Like what needs to happen as God is preparing us for this great awakening? Like what needs to be happening in our hearts and minds? I don't ever want to live a life where I just get swept up in what happens next. Somebody else starts the wave and I just catch it. Don't you want to be at the beginning? Like, don't you, don't you want to be with him when he's starting the wave? Don't you, like, isn't there like a hunger to be like, don't let me live for nothing. Don't let me live in futility. Just catching what other people start. You show me what you want me to do. You show me the wave you want me to start. Right? Right? We should have that sense in us. It is illegal for people who carry the Spirit of God to not be hungry to see the impossible. Right? It should be. And if, it, if at some point we've been dulled to that, you know what we need to do? We need to cry out and say, Lord, fresh, fresh rain. Right? Soften my heart. Help me to learn to cry out for you again. Maybe there's disappointment sitting there. I need to learn how to surrender to you and stop looking at what hasn't been done yet and keep my eyes on what you're doing. Are you with me? Part of what Mitch and I are seeing is that within the church, I believe as God's preparing for um, Great Awakening, there's a shaking in the house of God. Right? Doesn't Peter say that? The The... Judgment begins in the house of God. The shaking begins here. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And then what's solid is going to remain. And we just, even among our friends who are in ministry, man, if they haven't been abiding, if they haven't been keeping their own relationship with God solid, they're hitting hard times. You look at the news just last week, two more pastors of huge churches, one in Washington, one in Chicago, got removed right? Over just inappropriate issues and control issues and just inappropriate behavior and thought it didn't apply to them, right? Because 25,000 people listen to me so I can do what I want. Listen, that can happen in a church of 50 or 25,000, right? I mean, that is a heart issue, but God is shaking his church. We've got to be responsible with the fruit that's going to come through Great Awakening, which means it's not enough for me to abide and then regurgitate that up on Sunday and give it to you. And that's what you live off of. You have to abide. You have to be connected to the vine. And then what you ask in his name, it will be done, right? <clears throat> and worse than that, I think for Leading congregations, they're not even connected to the vine. They're regurgitating up the last book they read on leadership, <laughs> right? And then that's what they're feeding a congregation. I mean, it's, they're so, it's so far removed from the vine at some point. You think, this is why we're not making disciples. This is why we're focused on production values to get more people in. And the same people just hop from this place to the next shiny thing. Instead of making disciples, we're making consumers. I'm just, I'm just being real with you a little bit, right? Because what needs to happen? Our vision is not, obviously you can always do things better. But here's really our vision for this house. 
I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to love him way more than I love ministry. And I want to see you and our leaders want to see you equipped to be disciples and to go make disciples. Which means you have to have a confidence in your own relationship with Jesus. Right? So it's not like you've got to go and be like, I guess I should share the gospel today. When you're connected to the vine out of the overflow of what God is speaking to you, you're just splashing on other people. And when you see someone who's sick, you think, oh, I have the spirit of Christ in me. I'll be the one to pray for him. I don't need to say, hey, come to my church. You can get prayer. I can pray. I can invite him too. But God wants to show his glory in the marketplace, out on the street. That's what the New Testament church looks like. The New Testament church didn't grow because they were like, hey, we got this great band and we have a special speaker and there's super glossy invite cards. Go invite your neighbor. Like, it's not wrong to invite our neighbors, but you know what I'm saying? That's not how it grew. They, they heard the word. They experienced the power of God. And they went out and did the stuff they experienced when they gathered. That's what it looked like. <clears throat> Romans 8, 5 through 17. Actually, we're going to go past 17. We'll start in 5. By the way, there's, there's um, Bibles in the pews, and if you don't have one at home, or if you like this version better, you're welcome to take it. We have a whole big box, and we can buy another one. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature, starting in verse 5, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Well, those are two really different destinations, right? Letting my flesh control my mind leads to Death. Letting the spirit control my mind leads to life and peace. Well, that's a huge difference, right? What does it mean for your flesh to control your mind? Whatever I want. What is your heart telling you? Man, tell it to shut up. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked. <laughs> what do you want? What do you, where's your flesh? What's your... That's your flesh telling your mind what to do. Guess what? That leads to death. And today you wake up wanting this, and tomorrow you wake up wanting that, and tonight this thing happens, and I want... Come on, how many of you have, been, have allowed your flesh ever to control your mind? Shifting sand. And it leads to death. You can't build anything in that environment, right? That kind of mental... You can't do anything good in that kind of environment. How are you, how are you doing, right? When the Spirit controls your mind, <clears throat> when your spirit's in charge, what happens? Thoughts come in your head, and listen, sometimes thoughts come in your head that even come from you. There's a reason why we need to take thoughts captive, you know what I'm saying? Thoughts come in your head, and your spirit's like, that's not what the word says. Get out. You're evicted, <laughs> right? But what if this never, oh, shut it, right? Your spirit's like, shut it. I am more than a conqueror. Through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Yeah. 
Come on. When your spirit controls your mind, your spirit is telling your mind what to think about something. The circumstances don't rule how you feel. Then how you feel tells your mind where to be and decisions to make, right? Circumstances happen and you realize the blood speaks a better word. So you're believing what it said and you're going to plow through it, right? When your spirit's controlling your mind, whew, now there's peace, right? I'm not tossed all the time. Now there's peace and there's strength and it leads to life. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Listen, especially if you're like my kids, they're, they're the Y generation. No, Z. They're the Z generation, millennial generation, the end of our X generation. Listen, we have been raised on hedonism. Whatever you feel, that's what you should do. There is no right and wrong. There's only what you want, what you feel. YOLO. <laughs> there was a car commercial I saw. This was like three or four months ago. This car commercial was like, wait, I want to say it exactly. It was like, um, the only regrets, oh, thank you. The only regrets you'll have <clears throat> are the things you didn't try. Are you insane? Yeah, no one's done anything. No one tried anything they have regrets about in old age. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. Do you know any human? Like, what in the world? This is like a car commercial. How deeply embedded is that in someone's heart and mind? They actually thought there's a customer, like, come on. Our flesh is hostile to God. It is hostile to him. And the good plans he has for you, the plans he wants to partner with you in, the extraordinary, like, eternity-changing things he wants to do through your life, your flesh is hostile to those things. You've got to make a decision who's going to be in charge, right? It never did obey God's laws, the flesh, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Death is a curtain we pass through now because Jesus so thoroughly vanquished sin that even death couldn't hold on to him. The most powerful thing that sin could create was death, and even death couldn't hold him. And now he's the first fruit of all those who will come after him. Death will not keep hold of you. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. We have zero right to feel pitiful in this life. If I'm feeling pitiful, if I'm feeling resentful, if I'm feeling um, inadequate and, right, victim, if that's where I'm living, listen, I have not understood the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling within me. 
He has seen fit to make a home in me. I host the presence of God. Come on. So you got to start telling your mind, your spirit needs to start telling your mind what to think about things. You might say, you don't know how hard my circumstance is. I have no doubt there are arduous circumstances in this room. No doubt at all. Listen, light's always going to get sent to darkness. That's how it's going to be. If I'm using my electricity in my house and all my lights are on, I don't light a candle. I light a candle in the dark. As you grow close to God, you're going to be in smack dab in the middle of circumstances, and you're going to have to know, man, Holy Spirit, i got to hold tight. What exactly are you saying? Because <laughs> I don't want to do anything of my flesh in this circumstance. It'll eat me alive. If you find yourself a candle in the darkness... Don't let the flame die. You know what I'm saying? Say, Jesus, I am sticking close. You said you'd stick closer to me than a brother. I am, I am getting under your wing, and I'm only doing what you're doing. I'm only saying what you're saying. Spirit, Holy Spirit in me, you're going to guide the way. Listen, so crazy. And I'm, we're just walking through, we're walking with friends through stupid, stupid circumstances that never had to be, but their flesh began to tell their mind what to think, and now they're making really stupid, stupid choices. They hit a circumstance, and when things are going great, they're feeling good about God. When things are going bad, what do they do? They move, they only, they move closer to him when they feel worthy of him. When things are going bad, they don't want to come into his throne room of grace they move further away. Listen, when you're in the middle of the darkness, you've got to shine brighter, not less. You've got to get closer. You've got to tuck in there. And if you feel like you're screwing stuff up, you know what? It's going to be okay because he said, in your time of need, come boldly into my throne room of grace. Especially when you screwed it up. He doesn't say, come and beg. He says, come boldly. Abba, Father. Listen, um, sometimes, I know it's hard to believe, sometimes my kids do things we tell them not to do. <laughs> Happens. Three boys. Come on. Happens. <laughs> but you know what? When stuff goes really bad, <laughs> when there's really an injury, they don't go, shh, 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 shh. They're like, ah! They're screaming loud enough so dad can hear. Because even though it's screwed up, they're like, the pain is worse than what we did. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I need dad. Come on. In your time of need, come boldly into my throne of grace. The spirit of Christ, or the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now dwells in us. <clears throat> and Christ lives within you, verse 10. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. The same spirit that's going to tell your body to get up is living in you now. Whoo! If he can tell your dead body to get up, what can he do with your living body? You know what I'm saying? Come on, we need to get a vision for something bigger. Okay. Okay. 
Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. How are you going to put those deeds to death? By your willpower? No! Behavior modification is not what he's talking about. He's talking about transformation by the Spirit. You're going to put that stuff to death the same way you got saved. That thing you're afraid to tell anybody about, you know how you're going to put it to death? The same way you got saved. Surrender. Not try harder. Surrender. (laughs) Fall on his mercy. Jesus, come and take it all. Man, I'm not going to lie to you. This is bad. (laughs) And now I'm surrendering to you, your way and not my way. You are Lord. I am not. Forgive my sins. And cleanse me from all unrighteousness. All the residue of the junk has to go too. As many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Who are the sons of God? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Because remember, salvation doesn't come from belief alone. Even the demons believe and tremble, James tells us. You can believe the story is true and still not make him Lord. Romans 10.9, how does salvation come? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you believe and then you make a decision to do something with that belief. I believe and now you are Lord, I am not. You are Lord. So who are the sons of God? Those who are led by the Spirit of God because he's Lord. Not my way, your way. Are you going to have tough challenges where you have to lay down your will? Even when you're super, super mature in the Lord? Yep. What does Jesus do in the garden? If there is any way, let this cup pass from me. There's situations you're in where you know to do it by the power of the Spirit and the way God wants to do it. All you can see is how tough it's going to be, and it's hard to see how he's going to work it out in the end. And you're going to have to, by faith, say, your will and not my will in this situation. Your will and not my will. Jesus is pretty mature spiritually when he has to make that decision, isn't he? We feel like, oh, if I was mature, no. Listen, as you grow in the Lord, you're going to have more circumstances that are even more challenging. And you're going to have to make a decision. I will live by the spirit or I will live by the flesh. I need to make a decision. We tend to feel like if I mature in the Lord, I won't ever have these challenges again. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. And that's why daily we recognize our need for him. We are jars of clay. We are frail. You've got to stay abiding in the vine. John 15, you've got to stay connected to the vine. The minute we think, I'm super mature in the Lord, we're unplugged from the vine, we're not getting nutrients from him, we're not abiding in a relationship with him, let me tell you, you cut off a branch and it withers pretty quickly. Doesn't matter how long it was on the tree. You've got to abide. You've got to stay connected to him. You've got to make a decision, life by your spirit and not by my flesh. Okay. So as many are led by the spirit of God, those are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. 
right? Literally, it's a child's way of ta- saying father in, in, the, in the Greek, like daddy. Abba, father. We cry, Abba, father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Woo, the okay. So the spirit is within me, working. And now he says, and because you are adopted into his family, you are his children, you are also his heirs. Just let that sink in. The language that Paul often uses, joint heirs with Christ. So all the things we just celebrated at the communion table, everything Jesus did on the cross, all the victory he got, making everything new, guess who's heirs of that? We are heirs of that. We are heirs. The Spirit himself bears witness, and we are children of God, we are heirs of God, we are joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, because you're going to, you're still going to be in tough circumstances that we also may be glorified together. What happens in those tough circumstances when you're led by the Spirit? Glory. Glory. That's what happens. Paul talks about how Moses, he'd go up to the mountain, the Sinai, and he'd come down, his hair would be white, he'd be glowing. And the people were like, oh, we should obey him now because he's glowing, right? We should, he's been the presence of God. He's glowing. We should obey him. And as long as he glowed, they obeyed. But the longer that Moses was down from the mountain and away from the presence of God, it said the glow would fade. And so he started wearing a veil so they wouldn't know when it was fading because they obeyed better (laughs) with the glow. But Paul says, we, with unveiled faces, reflect his glory. You don't have to veil it. It's not going away. He's dwelling within you. You don't have to climb the mountain to get some glow. He's actually dwelling within you. So with unveiled faces, we reflect his glory. So people around us are like, what's that? Jesus. How did you forgive in that situation? Jesus. How did you make it through that diagnosis? Jesus, like that you are seeing his glory. You're seeing his glory. That's what you're seeing. Oh, come on. So it says we'll suffer with him, but then there's glory. Your candle gets put in a dark place, man, and the light begins to overcome the darkness. It might take a month. It might take 10 years. The light begins to overcome the darkness. In some nations, it took 100 years, but the light began to overcome the darkness, and now there's glory. The glory of God is being seen. And don't forget what the end game is. What's the end game? That his glory would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, which if you've been on the sea, that's really thoroughly, right? I mean... And so we go into dark places and there may be suffering, but there's glory because he's with us. And light overcomes the darkness. And don't forget, if you're standing in full light, there's no shadows. I can't even go there, but just think about that for a second. Okay. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. (gasps) Think about all of creation, what happened to all of creation, every single bit of it, it got broken in the fall. 
and now it's happening. All of creation, the broken people, the broken nature, the broken, what is it doing? It is groaning to see the sons and daughters of God revealed. It's groaning for us to wake up to who we are and who he is in us. And the glory that can get revealed, we find our flesh, shut it. I'm going to live by the Spirit. Come on. Some of it is not all, some of it's not going to happen until the very end. But listen, just because we're eagerly anticipating when our bodies were made new and all that kind of stuff, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be reaching for all of it now. That we can. For I consider the, the present suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory which will shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, right? Genesis 3. Creation was subjected to futility. You're going to work hard, and it's not going to produce much, right? That's part of the curse. When you're not living by the Spirit, so much of the work of your hands is what? Futility. Have you ever worked really, really hard on a project, on a relationship, on a something that was broken? And in the end, you're like, I don't even know if that made a difference. <laughs> It's like all your effort, it feels like it swept away. Anyone ever been in that situation? Futility. Futility. And then you start thinking, why does it even matter? Have you ever worked with someone who's already decided it probably doesn't matter very much? <laughs> so frustrating, right? But he says, sons and daughters of God, they are not subject to futility. God has ordered your steps. And if you will listen to him, if you will do what he's doing, if you will say what he's saying, he's going to bring things from your hands that are eternal, not futile, like everybody else is living under. No way. Your life is going to produce fruit and fruit that remains. That's exciting. You look at people you love who aren't saved and you think, I don't know, I've said all I can say, I've done all I can do. Listen, the fruit's going to remain. What you are doing is going to bear fruit. You can't always predict what kind. But it's going to bear fruit. This coworker you were talking to about Jesus maybe never gets saved. But the three people they complained to about you and inadvertently planted some seeds in doing it because they spoke some truth that they were mad about, those three people are like, you know what? i got to get back to church. You never know. You never know. But we are not subject to futility like the rest of creation. If we're trusting in him, led by the Spirit, the work you do. Think about stories like um, Joseph, who sold into slavery, right? And he ends up in Potiphar's house. He doesn't know how to run anything, but he ends up being the most competent guy there. Why? The, the scripture literally says because God taught him how. And so as a slave, he's able to produce things. They're going to have eternal rewards because he ends up getting to, because of his competencies that God gives him, he ends up saving his family, which becomes Israel, which produces Jesus. Which 
He could have been like, God, you've forsaken me. I'm a slave. How could my life get any worse? But he was exactly where he needed to be to do the thing he was supposed to do. He didn't even have training to do it. God just gave it to him. Come on. Come on. There are things that God is teaching Mitch and I right now, like material things, God can do anything he wants. You can work and work and plan and borrow, and we should be wise planners and all that kind of stuff, but you know what? All the stuff that we try to do by striving can come in a moment by believing. I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard. I'm just saying (laughs) partner with him and watch the works of your hands multiply. We are not subject to futility like the rest of creation. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who's objected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So even as we're saying, God, I'm with you all the way through it. I'm not seeing it all yet, but I have a hope that this thing is going to get complete. And some of it may not be totally complete until I see you. But if I believe for it, I'm going to see a whole lot of things in the not yet pulled into the now by faith. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, right? You're in darkness. You're like, God, I want to do what you're doing. I have no idea what you're doing. I want to say what you're saying. I have no idea what you're saying, right? This is the Holy Spirit will help us pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings, third person that's been groaning there, groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. No futility there even in difficulty. Creation's groaning. We're groaning. The Holy Spirit's groaning. Did you catch all the groanings? For the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. For us to learn how to tuck in close and say, I just want to reflect your glory. And as we reflect his glory to the world, the sons and daughters of God are being revealed. We need to know who we are. You're not just making it through this life. He has ordered your steps. He has ordered the steps of the righteous. And listen, you're not going to be able to walk out this kind of glory and have one foot in the world. Today, my flesh is telling me what to do. Tomorrow, the spirits tell me what to do. Sunday, the spirit tells me what to do until 5 p.m. when it's worn off. And then the flesh takes over again. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And we live in a culture where you will be the oddity if you decide to live by the Spirit. We are the counterculture. That's who we are. If you decide to live by the Spirit, it's going to be obvious. And for some people, it will be off-putting. But for others, they've been so hungry for what's real and what's true, and no one's ever told it to them, but they're beginning to see it in you. Come on. 
Last thing on this. I don't know how, where all the time goes, but it goes so fast. It may not feel as fast when you're sitting in those seats, but it feels fast to me. Because I want to get to 2 Corinthians really quick. Um, one last thing here in Romans. I wish we could take more time. I hope the seeds are planted and God will germinate them in you. Suffering is momentary. Victory is permanent. Right? These momentary afflictions, if you could only see the glory that will come, it's not comparable. When we're in suffering, when there's difficulty we're walking through, he's the difficulty will be momentary. Stay in it. Don't run from it and don't despise him in it. Stay in it and stay with him. Because the victory you get in the end will be permanent. Suffering is momentary. Victory is permanent. Some of you, there are things you're believing God for and you haven't seen them yet. Do not get discouraged in believing. Do not get weary in well-doing. The suffering is momentary. The victory will be permanent. And when we get victory in Christ, when we get spiritual victory, sometimes we alone or with a small group are going through difficulty, right? In ones, twos, threes, we're going through a difficult time. That's temporary. But when we get victory... How many of you have found it often cuts a wide swath for many people? When they see you get victory, all of a sudden, all the difficulty it was for you to believe, to stay in it, to keep doing what he was saying to do, they see you come through and they're like, oh, that's how it goes. Okay, cool. And they walk it out and you're like, wow, that cost me a lot to, to be able to demonstrate that to you. But they get to go higher and further. And isn't that how it should be? So stay in it, because you're not just in it for you. When you get victory, it's going to be for more than just you. And it's going to be fruit that remains. Okay, there's about 20 more things I want to say about Romans, but I can't. Really quickly, we'll end here. Worship team, come on up. At the end of this service, we're sending off Nicole, who has served so faithfully here. As we come to the close of worship, we're going to celebrate him. Ben has made cupcakes for this beautiful event. If you've ever had Ben's cupcakes, it could be your lunch. (laughs) But I want to take some time to respond to him. Listen, there's a stirring. If you try to obey without the Spirit stirred and empowering you, listen, it's no better than a New Year's resolution. Come on. But when you partner truth with surrender to his spirit, there are new places he's going to take you to. And I know over this month, some of you had to confront some raw, difficult things. They're confronted now. So now partner with his spirit. Draw close to him, the intimacy. Once you learn how to draw close to God and stay close no matter how much ugly he sees, you're going to find it easier to do it with others. But you got to draw close in those moments. you got to know who you are. Son, daughter of God. 2 Corinthians 1, 18-22. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, because they had to change plans where they were going, right? For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in Him, it has always been Yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 
No matter how many promises, it's a really thick book, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The promises were accomplished through Christ, spoken by the Father, and we put the amen to the promise when we live it out. Right? He says, listen, through Christ, his promises are already yes. So be the amen for the world to see. Be the amen on his yes so the world can see it. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. All of his promises are yes and amen to sons and daughters of God. All of them. <laughs> All of them. And the spirit he has put within us, it's what it's going to tell us. That's what the spirit will be speaking to us. He will be speaking yes and amen in Jesus. Don't be afraid to listen to him. Tell your flesh to shut up. Tell your heart to get submitted to his word. And let the Spirit now speak. Let the Spirit empower your spirit to be in charge. Sons and daughters of God, listen, our life is a vapor. What a shame to hit the last two or three years of your life and really start getting the revelation of sons and daughters of God. Because all of creation is thirsty and hungry for them to be revealed. Where you work, where you live, where you shop, there's low-hanging fruit everywhere. And people don't even know what they're hungry for, but what they're hungry for is to see the sons and daughters of God revealed. They're groaning for it. They're groaning for you to know who you are and live it, walk it out. Fall on his mercy every chance you get. Tuck yourself under his wing. If you would stand. <clears throat> that God wants to encourage in this house. Some of you, you made a decision to draw close to him, to be obedient to him. He wants to empower you for the decision. It's not going to happen in your own strength. Listen, if you're in this room and you pretty much believe this stuff is true, but you're recognizing, I don't know that I've actually gotten saved. I don't know that I've made him Lord and decided your way, not my way. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Do it today. So there's folks who are going to be up here to pray. Pray to me if you would come. Folks who can pray here and here on this side. Folks who are in back. I think Gary and Craig are in back ready to pray with you. Some folks in back here ready to pray with you. If you need healing in your body, if today is your day of salvation, if you came with a need and you'd like prayer, let's take time to respond to God. Respond in worship. Respond in prayer. But listen, don't leave the same as you came in. Our prayer should be anything but nothing. Jesus, come and do. Come and do what you need to do. Amen?
Try. 
is how I This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how.
you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you're praying with someone, just keep praying. Nicole, where are you at? Come on up. How many of you know if we're going to be a part of what God's doing, people will understand the times and flow with what he's doing. We're going to go out. We're going to share the gospel. There's going to be movement. But sometimes the movement's even further than just going out during the week. Sometimes we're going to send our very best out, right, into other places. <laughs> so today is one of those days. Nicole has been here for, how long has it been now? Four. She came for a year internship. <laughs> We're four years in. And the cool thing is, obviously, there's lots of things she's had her hand in and um, lots of ways that she's come alongside and, and helped in ministry. Um, but she also leaves fruit that remains. You know, so some of the work that she's done with missions and also with young adults, we didn't have any young adults meeting and gathering and encouraging each other in the Lord. And now we do a solid group. And her vision was, I don't want to like have a group where it's like big activity, you know, just like lots of people there. She said, I want to have like meaningful relationships like you would around a table with family. Like I want us to be closely knit and and I think there's a vision God gave her and it's been accomplished in the house. And so now it's gonna go on. And how many of you know we need to have a place? Yeah. What a crucial thing because we all need that. But I don't know, when I was 20 and single, coming to church, if I didn't know I could make relationships pretty fast, even if I like the word and the worship, you, at that point you're like, I need family. And church should be family. It should be family, shouldn't it? And so we have this ability now, people come in and we can say, come on, we already got family. Every single Sunday they go out for lunch, um, you know, and there's just lots of opportunity then for people to come in and experience the goodness and glory of God through his people, whether they're saved or unsaved. And uh, that's your fruit. That's fruit you're leaving behind, which is awesome. Um, Pastor Alyssa and Eric are going to take over Young Adults Ministry. So you guys will keep having lunch and hanging out and have the opportunity. And so we're thankful for that. It's going to be a good thing. But we're thankful. We're thankful for the fruit of Nicole's hands and that she was willing to come and plow the ground in Jackson here with us for four years. Such a good thing. And so um, any elders who aren't praying with somebody or um, executive team leaders who aren't praying with somebody or deacons, if you're free, come on up. We're going to lay hands on her. We're going to send her out. Her and her fiancé, which um, soon to be husband, like two months. You're not far. It's really close. Um, she texted me this week and said, hey, could I borrow your pellet ice maker for the wedding? <laughs> or is it sacred? <laughs> and I said, it is sacred. <laughs> and yes, you can borrow it because I love you, right? <laughs> it's close. couple months out. couple months out. But her and her husband-to-be have taken a position in Charlotte. And so we're just going to bless them to go. We're going to bless them as they're there. And how many of you know, just because people go and they're not doing ministry among us doesn't mean our heart is any less connected. Family should always be family because we love people based on who they are and not what they do. Amen. You're not important in the house because you can do something. You're important in the house because you're family. And so we want to bless her and send her out. And um, from the first day I met her, I went to go speak at North Point, And she was the group of, they have all the ladies stay and do lunch with me. Because they so rarely get to meet a woman who's doing ministry. <laughs> so they're like, well, get them all for lunch. And so I asked the ladies there, I don't know if there were 20 or I don't know how many were there. I said, how many of you are going to be lead pastors? And <laughs> nobody raised their hands, you know. 
And at the end, um, they went to pray for me, and um, I didn't know Nicole. She had a little beanie hat on. She was 19 years old. And uh, so they're all, they're all come around to pray for me, and I was like, you. Like, you're supposed to lead. You know that, right? Like, like you're going to pastor, right? You know that. Like, just knew. So I'm excited, little sister. You know, I feel like there's a sisterhood. There's got to be a little sisterhood in the big brotherhood. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like kinship there. But from 19, I was like, man, there's something special about this girl. So we're going to bless her. And we're going to track with her. And we're going to support her. And if you get a call at midnight, she's like, I just got to talk to somebody who doesn't know anybody I know. We're going to be that person. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hmm. Father, we just pray, pray, pray blessing over Nicole. We bless her in your name. Father, we bless her upcoming marriage to Gabe. We bless them, Father. Father, we pray you give them clear thinking and strength and vision for what you want to do in Charlotte. Father, I pray for the, um, the desires of Nicole's heart even the ones that aren't going to be fulfilled right away. Father, I just pray that you continue to mature the vision of all that you've called her to, God. I pray that her abiding time with you would be sweet and rich and full, and she could minister out of her overflow, God, that ministry wouldn't um, deplete her and drain her, but God, she could minister out of her overflow. Father, I pray that her identity would continue to be so solidly rooted in you um, that she's living for the applause of one, that all other expectations are far number two because she's clearly hearing your voice. She's clearly following your direction. Father, I thank you for the call you have in her life for this season, and I pray for the next season too, Father. I just pray for the unfolding of what you've called her to be, and I just bless each face, Father. Father, and teach our hearts how to love well from a distance, God. Teach us how to be good family from a distance, Lord. Bind our hearts even tighter, Lord. Thank you, Father. I pray for every provision for them, financial and strength and physical and all that they need in this season and the next, Lord. We bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So good. So good. So good. So good. Did you want to say anything? Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to say that <laughs> you guys were like the first church that I ever served at as a minister. So when I came in, I was fresh. <laughs> I was really green. And um, what a what a healthy and what a safe place to grow, and to just learn. And um, man, ministry is something that's it's really easy to drop out of, and to not want to keep moving forward in because there's a lot of um, attacks that could come or discouragement. But man, knowing that I had this family around me and these encouragers in my corner kept me going. So sorry. So thank you. Thanks for being a family. I love you guys. I will always be family. Always be family. Always. 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 So if you would stand, we're going to.
dismiss. I'm going to teach you a real quick 70s song before we do. <laughs> and it's singing. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Some of you were born before the 70s, too. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory <laughs> forever. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Encourage somebody before you go. There's paper on the table to write encouragements. Nicole, hug her, encourage her. Our youth are heading upstairs. Grab a cupcake before you do. God bless you. Love you.